Today we are looking at the subject of Jesus the King over the law of God. Jesus the King over the law of God. Now that might sound like a, it's going to be a difficult sermon and that's probably true. <laughs> so we'll see how we go. Um, but I'm going to just pray. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding into your word today. That you would help us to grasp the truth of your greatness, of your glory. And that in our hearts we might... Um, might, might, might just worship you and uh, help us to understand this subject of uh, Jesus, the King, over the law. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at Mark chapter 2, verse 18. And um, I'm going to read it in parts. So uh, go right through to chapter 3. So, but as we go, we'll start with verses 18 to 20. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but you're not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the day will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Okay. Um, fasting, I don't know, has that been in anyone's traditions? Fasting? Anyone here ever done much fasting? No? Okay. Yep. Why, um, they ask, why does John's, John the Baptist's disciples fast and the Pharisees fast, but you don't? Now, why did they? What was the commandments about fasting anyway? Actually, in Israel's history, there was only actually really one day to begin with where they were told to fast. And that was the Day of Atonement, the day that would celebrate the forgiveness of sins as a, a lamb was sent off into the wilderness and another one was slaughtered. So on that day, as a sign of repentance, they would fast for the day, uh, once a year. But as time went on, uh, during the prophets, there were, there were more days added where there was fasts, freezing people fast. And the bulk of those were kind of commemoration days. They would fast uh, to celebrate when Moses threw down the Ten Commandments and smashed them. They'd have a day fasting for that. Uh, the day of the destruction of the temple where Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. They remembered that with a fast. Uh, when the last king of Israel was, was taken off or the last governor was taken away, they fasted for that. And the siege of Jerusalem. They, so kind of, they actually fasted in memory of mostly... Disasters in their history and, uh, and, and to repentance. That's the, his, Israel's history. The Pharisees, they fasted twice a week. They had two days where they would fast and they made sure everybody knew about it. Their reasons for more piety to show how good they were. It's always good to let people know how religious and holy you are, isn't it? Yeah? Have a look at me, I'm good. That's a joke, right? But you know that when people are doing religious acts, generally they have to let other people know because they want to be shown as good. That's why I say you'll know people in the community who do fast a lot, often because they'll tell you without letting you know how holy they are. But that doesn't include people who ask questions to, that's all right. But you, you understand what I'm saying. They, they want, people want to be, do religious acts and they want to let you know how good am I. Because that's what the Pharisees were like. Have a look at me. 
I'm good. And um, the Pharisees also uh, did it as a sign of self-consecration, self-sanctification, self-holiness. They were making themselves holy. Yeah, okay. Just have that in mind. There's a lot of stuff I'm going to draw together, hopefully, today. This will make a little bit of sense. But when Jesus answered them, he says, he talks about a wedding. You don't fast when you go to a wedding, do you? Now, remember, their weddings weren't like our weddings. When we have a wedding, we, we kind of have a day or an afternoon and we have a feast. Their weddings went for a whole week. A whole week of feasting. A whole week of, of fellowship. A whole week of, yeah, just having a good time together. He said, you don't go to a wedding and then fast, do you? You go to a wedding and you celebrate. Why? Well, the bride and groom are there and we're celebrating them. And he's saying, I'm with you, I'm the bridegroom. You don't fast then, right? Um, but later, when I'm taken away, you'll fast on that day. Which could be referring to uh, Good Friday, I guess. Or it could just be referring to in general when, the, when they're separated, the, the, the suffering of being separated from the bridegroom. But a time is going to come where there's going to be a great feast again. Okay. <coughs> Can you see in this something that we sung about before? Um, thou with me. When God is with us, that is the greatest blessing we can ever know. I was thinking, uh, while we were on holidays, I was um, thinking about what it is to be blessed. Because often people talk hashtag blessed. What, what's hashtag blessed? Oh, I've had it, you know, someone loves me, I feel good, someone sent me a nice message, I've got a new car, I'm blessed. Um, my, my family, uh, blah, 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 whatever's going on. It's as though blessing is tied to the everyday events that we have. But you see, the blessing here that Jesus speaks of is that the bridegroom's with them. You want to have a blessing, the greatest blessing we could ever know is to know Jesus and to know he's with us. There will be no better blessing in this world than that. Okay? Those other things, yeah, they're enjoyments in life and there'll be good days and there'll be bad days. But you know that when Jesus is with you, it doesn't matter if you're healthy and it doesn't matter if you're sick because the blessing's always there. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't matter if you've got family disasters or family great times. Do you understand? The blessing, the deep blessings of God which are far more important than anything else, come because the bridegroom's with us. That's good, isn't it? Nothing better than knowing the Father. Okay. Then he goes on and he tells a little parable in verse 21. No one sews a piece of untrunk cloth into into an old garment. Imagine if you've got cloth. You know, some things, some cloth shrinks immediately when you wash it. Imagine if you put some of that and you sew, you've got a hole in your shirt and you, and you sew it in and you haven't shrunk it, then when you wash it, what's going to happen? It's going to rip and fall out. Okay. Otherwise, a new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Now, the wineskins were kind of... Uh, they were skins, actually, from, that they put their wine in. And if you put new wine in, apparently they would burst open and you'd lose all your wine. Well, it's a dumb idea, isn't it? then the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, you pour new wine into new wineskins. What he's saying is this. 
You don't fix up something that's old with something new. It'll shrink or it'll tear or it'll bust out. You don't fix up. You people have got problems with your law, obedience. Who, just out of interest, anybody here obey all of God's law? <laughs> None of us do, right? You don't fix it up with suddenly getting really, really obedient. Why would he say that? Because that's what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees were trying their hardest to obey every one of God's laws and they believed that if they got them all right, they would be holy. You don't do that. You don't, you don't, you need something new. You need a new heart. You can't, just imagine your old heart is really messed up as everyone's heart is without Jesus and you can't do what's right. You can't sort of, every day and every way I'm getting better and better. No, it doesn't work like that. You need a new heart. You need a complete heart transplant. You need Jesus to give you a new heart. You need the Holy Spirit to wash you and cleanse you and make you a new person. That's what he's saying. You can't patch up the old. You need a new. You need, as Jesus says, you must be born again. Without being born again, you cannot see and you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay. How are you born again? Just as a side note, for trusting in Jesus and putting all your hope in him, in his new start, not in the old start that we might be able to do ourselves. Okay. So understand this. Our problem is disobedience to God's law. The answer to that is not to get really obedient because no one will come up to the standard. The answer is faith in Christ who gives us our obedience, our born-againness. Then he goes to the next story, and we will tie these together. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay. Jesus has shown their inconsistencies here. He said, look, because they loved the Sabbath. The Sabbath was everything to them. And they had so many laws. You know, they can only take on the Sabbath day so many steps. They had that laid down. There were certain things you could do and you couldn't do. You might be able to drink a drink of water, but you couldn't pour it or something like that. There was all these laws that they believed made them righteous. And he says, well, hang on. You've got all these laws. Have a look at David, right? He ate the consecrated bread. Why? Because they just got back from war. This is in 1721 if you want to read it. They just got back from war and the men were starving, the fighting men. So they went, they went and got, opened up the, the priest's bread box and they started eating because they were hungry. And there was no problem with that because he was a great king, wasn't he, David? So if you're in need, why would you starve on the Sabbath rather than breaking the rules? That's a dumb idea, isn't it? Okay, And then he goes on and says this. The Sabbath is not a, a list of laws for itself. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, God gave you the Sabbath day, the day with the Lord, the, the day off, the day of rest, 
as a blessing. Why not enjoy it? If you're spending the whole day counting how many steps you've done and making sure and looking out the window to make sure Jack's not disobeying the Sabbath and what's he doing out there? And you, you, gee, that's going to be a really restful day, isn't it? It's just going to be a self-righteous mess. He's saying, God gave you a day of rest. Enjoy it. It's a blessing. It was given for you. Can you understand something good about the law? When you obey the law, it's good. It's the best way to live, actually, isn't it? Now, also, understand here what Jesus is doing. He's doing something which would not make them happy. He is reinterpreting the law and explaining the proper and true meaning of the law. This is a law they've had for years and they've been interpreting their own way. And he's saying, no, this is what it means. It's a gift for you. And so he's really getting in the face of the Pharisees who love lots of laws. Right. He's saying, really, how good is it for you to have a day with the Lord? That's going to be a blessing to you. That's what it's all about, is what he's saying. In another place, Jesus says, if your donkey falls down a well on the Sabbath, what do you do, wait for the next day? No, you go and pull it out, don't you? Don't be silly, right? If you're hungry on the Sabbath, you pick and eat. But enjoy the Sabbath, yeah? Don't work like you normally do on that day. God gave it to you as a gift. Now, also, don't do with this now just what we do then to say, okay, so anything goes, we do what we like on the Sabbath and we do... No, don't make a new set of laws about it. Enjoy your time with God. That's what it's about, okay? Okay, the next part, chapter 3, verse (coughs) 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus... So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. That's doing a work on the Sabbath, healing. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. What could you answer? He looked around at them in anger. And deeply distressed, their stubborn hearts said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. When the Pharisees went out and began to plot, sorry, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Okay. He's embarrassing them on their Sabbath law again, isn't he? They understood, they knew that healing was from God. That's what Jews believed. Healing is from God. Okay? And they couldn't argue with him because he says, What's lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to, to, to do evil. Yeah, and, and, then he's, and then he heals the man, and it's like, Oh, healing comes from God. That means Jesus comes from God. But we don't like what he's saying because he's breaking our rules. So, what do we want to do? What's the answer? Well, kill him. That's the only answer, isn't it? That's all they could do, really. They had, they had no other option. And Jesus, it says, was very angry. They had a, a lack of compassion. Here's a man who can't use his hand, and Jesus heals him. Isn't that good? Yeah? Can't beat that, can you? Unfortunately for them, his healing proved he knew the, the right interpretation of the law, didn't he? 
Yep. He proved that he understood the law truly and that they didn't. Their whole religious lives were shown to be a scam. I'll just say this. If you are trying to do something good to impress other people, to think you want to be seen as someone good, you've lost the plot. You need Jesus and he's the only one who's going to make you good. Do you understand that? Really important. Who cares what anyone else thinks? It's only what you have, the holiness that comes from God. But they were very angry because you want to really make people angry, show their inconsistencies. You ever done that to someone? You said this, but now you've done that. Yep, that'll make them angry, won't it? Yep. Uh, don't tell them their view of God's wrong. That will really make them angry. Yeah. Okay. So, with all that in mind, understand here, we're going to come back to Jesus and what he's done here in a minute. But the question I want to ask first is, what is the law of God? What is God's law, really? Um, because it's, it's actually, at its heart, it's about who God is. It's about everything he is. It's about his character, his love, his grace, his faithfulness. It's about his blessing. He gives good gifts. Hey, he gives the Sabbath. He gives salvation. He is all-powerful. He's king. You see, if, if you say, what is that? We're going to pick on Barb, but what's the law of Barb? You'd say, and you wanted to write it down, you'd have lists of rules, what she's like, how she acts, what she does. That's the law. That, that's, that's her law. The law of God would tell you everything he is and everything he's done and everything he's said from all of time. That would be the law that describes him. And what would it be? It'd be, it'd be grace and love and judgment, holiness and perfection. You could, if you could sum him up, everything he's ever done, creation all the time. You, you understand, just to blow it out of the water, the, the law into something really big. Everything about God. So is the law good? Absolutely. It tells us about who God is. Yep. Everything he is and everything he does. You know, I often quote that Colin Buchanan song where Colin says, who he is, sorry, what he is, he says, and what he says, he'll do. God is absolutely consistent. He never changes. Everything he is, he says, that's his law. And everything he says, he does. He does. Does. Yep. Sorry to English teachers. But, um, he is absolutely consistent in every way and he never lies and he never changes. <coughs> so I can imagine then if you diminish the law into some sort of set of rules rather than God himself, it's kind of, and then say, obey these laws and you'll be like God. That's just so pathetic compared to the goodness of God. Um, People often say, you know, when God made Adam and Eve, he gave them one law, you know, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But he gave them lots of laws, actually. It's just there it was only one negative one. We just love the negative bit, don't you? He said, marry, multiply and fill the earth. Work the garden. It was natural in creation to enjoy his presence, wasn't it? Walk with me in the cool of the evening. There was lots of laws there. They were all great laws to live by. And, and, but don't eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't ache after another sort of wisdom except the wisdom I give you. 
Because my wisdom is the only true wisdom, says God. And if you really look at creation too, you understand something. It's not like God's like this and then he created. God is love and grace. And in his creation, you see his love. Creation, what an incredible gift to humanity. And Eden, he makes Eden and he puts Adam and Eve in Eden. Yeah, why, why was creation made? For people to, to, Isaiah says, he made the earth for people to dwell in. It's a gift to us. Do you understand? What I'm saying is this. His law is not just a list of rules. It's everything about what he's like. And he's always been loving and he's always been gracious and he's always been giving. I know it's really deep for us to understand. But if you can understand that, you'll see... His law is just wonderful and perfect. And if you could obey all of God's law, well, you'd be a son of God or a daughter of God. And that is what Jesus restores us to. Complete law obedience. Now, I want to go back to Jesus. Because he was the son of God. And if he was the son of God and he was exactly like God, in fact, he said, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. That means he was a man who understood the law of God. Truly, like none of us could ever understand. He understood everything about it, everything behind it. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful hand. In other words, Jesus is exactly the same as the Father. You want to see love and grace in Jesus? You see him going to the cross. That's, that's what the Father's like. Do you understand that? And then it says, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now it starts by saying Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is God. And then it goes on to, And he gave his life for sins. He's ruling over us now. It's the same thing. You see, he's like the Father and this is what he does. You see, you can't have somebody who has words without action. Well, you can. You can have sinners who say one thing and do another. But God's not like that. He's never changing. He is perfectly consistent in all things. So what he says in his law and his word is what he does. So Jesus, the exact radiance of God's glory, yep, provides purification for sins by giving up his life. God is gracious to the core. And then he sat down at the right hand of the magic. He is ruling over all things. God is, and he always has been. Okay. This is a very poor explanation of an incredible truth. I hope you understand it. Just a glimpse of this, and I want you to think about it more. God's law is about God. It's who he is. It's everything he's done. It's everything he ever will do. Okay? And he's completely inconsistent. Consistent with his character, okay? He never changes, so everything he thinks is always the same. The law is glorious. <coughs> now, Jesus, <coughs> he in- interprets the law, he actually makes it more intense. He shows its heart, <coughs> he shows its true meaning, he obeys the law fully. <coughs> and at one point, he said to his disciples, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. This is Matthew 5. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. Okay? So don't think because 
you see, we've been disobedient to the law and he's come to give us forgiveness. Therefore, the law doesn't count anymore. It's not that. If he had to forgive us from our disobedience from the law, he's actually showing two things. One, that the law is perfect. And secondly, we need his forgiveness and perfection to be made right with God. Do you understand? So the law is always good. He says, not a pen stroke, not a dot of the eye, not a cross of the T will change until the end. And then he says, your righteousness must, be, must surpass the Pharisees. You've got to be better than the Pharisees. And if you knew the Pharisees in that time, you would think, you can't get better than them. They obey everything perfectly. And he's saying, no, you've got to be better than them. How can you be better than them? Through the righteousness that comes to us through Christ. No other way. And then he goes on and he talks about, you know, you've heard it said, don't murder. Well, I say, don't even call someone a fool in your heart. See, I've done that lots, lots of times recently. That fool. Yep, yep. I've thought about people like that. And he's saying, you're murdering them in spirit. You're killing them. You might as well go out and stab them. Yep. And don't even look at a woman lustfully. That's the same as committing adultery in your heart. You're doing it. Okay, so he, he made the law. He shut, well, he hasn't made the law harder. He's just shown what the law was really about. He's shown the heart of it. Impossible for us. We need the righteousness of Christ. Again, I'll say it. And Jesus not only gives us his righteousness, he bears the punishment for our disobedience to the law, making us holy. But you see, what I'm saying in all this, Jesus knows the law and he knows what it means and he knows the heart of it. He's the king of the law. Only he can show its heart. Only he knows its true meaning and only he truly obeys it because he's completely consistent, just like the Father. Okay? And in his death... All who trust in him will receive his obedience to the law. That means if you've trusted in Christ, you are 100% obedient to the law of God. Even if you stuff up, you're still at 100%. Why? Because it's a righteousness or a holiness or an obedience that comes from Christ to us. Okay. And then Hebrews 2 tells us, He'd given us, through Jesus, a Sabbath rest. The rest we have, if you read Hebrews 4, is because we're in Christ. Now, with all that in mind, okay, what does this mean uh, for us? Well, God's law is all about him, firstly. But David said in Psalm 119, Your hands made me and formed me. So you made me who I am. So it's your definition of my life, your law over my life. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. In other words, if you're the one who's given the definition to my life, I want to know your laws. I don't want to make up stuff about myself. I don't want to say I can live however I like. I want to know the way you say I can live because you must be right and I, I haven't got a clue. Otherwise, we're using our own knowledge of good and evil, which is worthless. We need his knowledge of good and evil. Does that make sense? And then I will proclaim your greatness. Now, David was a sinner. David loved God's law. Okay. Sometimes people say, don't talk about sin, don't talk about laws. Why? Because it makes me feel bad. Yeah? I feel bad about myself when I'm told I sin. No, no, no. You see, what we find out is 
in the law we see the perfection of God and then in Christ we see the gift of perfection that we have. We can love the law of God even though we are never-ending disobeyers to that law. We love it and we know it's true. We love the law even though we don't do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right, so I want to finish, but this is going to take a while. You have to get Psalm 19 up. We're going to go through Psalm 19 because I want some practical teaching from here and I want you to go home and read this psalm and work your way through it and see how it speaks to you. And it's a psalm which talks of the glory of God's law that begins with creation. And we'll just go through it. We got that? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. So the heavens are glorifying God right now. Creation reveals us truth about God. You know that? It's good to study creation, isn't it? It gives us knowledge. So meditate on creation. Look into creation. I use the word meditate because later on David does. But think deeply on the things that God teaches us through this and look for his character because it's everywhere. Creation plainly reveals to us the truth about God. Romans 3 says, They, that's the heavens and the, the glory of creation, have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. We went to America a few years ago and stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon. And you can look at this place where you were looking down. It's about a kilometre down, straight down into this valley. And that was nowhere near the bottom of the Grand Canyon. That was just down in this little valley. And I just remember being overcome to tears, just seeing... It's like, it's like the Grand Canyon was singing the glories of God and I got wrapped up in them. Yeah. How amazing is God? How glorious is he? And it, it, it was, there's no words. There's no words to that song. And yet it's there as you lay on your back lawn and you look at the stars at night time or whatever you do. The glory of God. You hear the worship song. No words to it. but It's, it's, a, it's a worship song of his truth. Okay. In the heavens, and he speaks about the sun, S-U-N, sun. In the heaven, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It, it rises at one end of the heavens and it makes a circuit to the others. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Now he's saying, talking about one aspect of creation, but you see what he's doing in He's saying, have a look at the sun. Can you see in that the warmth, the faithfulness of God? Do you know... We can rely on it every night. The sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. Does that tell you something about God? He is faithful to you and he supplies all your needs of light and warmth and love every day. He is shining on you like the sun. How awesome is that? Can, can you hear what I'm saying? There's a bit of worship song going on there. Okay, it displays what God's like. So when we look at creation, we're not just looking, hey, I want to study the leaves and the trees. We're looking at what is God like in the life-giving he brings to the leaves and the trees and he gives life to us and so on. He jumps from that straight to the law of God because this is what we've been talking about anyway. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul, brings refreshing to us. The statutes of the Lord 
are trustworthy, making wise the simple. That's the written commands of God. <coughs> Read the Ten Commandments. Read the other commandments of God. They'll make you wise. Yep, you'll be done without them. But if you study them, you'll find the character of God. Now, I know I've said this so many times before, but if you study the, the do not commit adultery, see that that's the negative side. Look at the positive side. God is faithful. Be faithful, it's saying. God is faithful to you. When it says, do not lie, look at the positive. God is always truthful. Live in his truth. Look to his truthfulness. Do you understand? The law shows us what God's like. Love the law of God. Even if you can't obey it, it doesn't matter. It's still a good law. You might be a person who all your life has told lies, and I think we all are. But it doesn't mean you don't love the truth. And God's law, and I wish I didn't lie, and I never want to lie. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. His laws bring joy to us. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes, light to our eyes from the commands of God. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Now, as I've heard before, and I've said before, the word fear in the Bible is translated, should be translated something like fear. Just in case you're those sort of people who want to change the meanings of the word. The word fear means fear. So when it's talking about fear of the Lord, it means fear of the Lord. That's what it means. I'm being a little bit sarcastic there. But, hey, he's the creator. He's the king. He's the father. We're not, he's not the pal. He's not... Do you understand? He's not God's my mate, like Crocodile Dundee says. Yeah? God is ruler over all. It is right that we live in awe and fear of him, isn't it? So fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is pure. It will make you pure. Because you're in the right place. He's the creator and I'm the creature. He's the father and in my case I'm the son. Some of you are daughters. Okay? He's the king and I'm the subject. That's the way it is, isn't it? Should you fear him? Should you hold his law up as ultimate, because it is, and not your own law? Do you get what I'm saying? So fear him. Don't think yourself as God, because we're not. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold. Well, there's nothing more precious than gold than ever has been, is there? In, this, in an earthly sense. They're sweeter than honey. Well, you can't get more sweeter than honey, can you? Than honey on the, on the, of the honey, honey show. Now understand this. This is David saying this, who disobeyed the very laws. He's saying, I love them. Yep. We can do that when we are in Christ and by the Spirit of God, we can love God's laws because they are sweet and they are precious. By them, by your laws, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. In other words, have a listen to his laws and do what they say. Don't do the shout nots, right? You'll be blessed if you don't live that way. Who can discern their errors? There is no errors. There's lots of people who think they know better than God, right? Yeah, you've got to watch the news. Any night of the week, you're going to see people watch Q&A. See a group of people thinking, sitting around thinking that in their heads they can dream up stuff that's better than God. You can't beat the law of God. There is no error in anything in his commands or his rules. He is absolutely perfect. 
But as we study God's law, you will become aware of our own sins, of your own sins. That's what will happen. As soon as you read a law about perfection, you'll realise you're imperfect. So David says, forgive my hidden faults. In other words, if you proclaim, proclaim the greatness of the law, you see your own failures. So he says, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins that they may not rule over me. In other words, he's praying, make me obedient to your law. So pray for it. Who who here loves God? Anybody want to dishonour God? No? Anyone want to... You wake up in the morning and think, gee, I hope I can be disobedient today. You want to obey... Pray for obedience, knowing that that's not your righteousness, your righteousness of Christ, but to honour God and glorify him, hey, be obedient and pray for his spirit to help you obey his laws. Desire not to sin because the law is good. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Now, ultimately, this comes in his command and he, there's a command right throughout the New Testament, trust in Jesus. Yep. And Paul calls it something, if you want to look it up in your thing, he says, obey the gospel. What does the gospel tell us? The good news of what Jesus has done for us, so trust in Jesus. In other words, be obedient to him. Because when you're obedient to Jesus, when you obey the gospel, you will be blameless, innocent of great transgression because you have everything God. See, God, what I'm saying is this, God's law to us is obey the gospel and there's a great blessing that comes through that. Okay. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When we live like this, we're pleasing to God. It's a bit like Jesus when uh, when he went through baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I delight, says the Father to Jesus. Well, when we're in Christ, that word is over our lives. This is my Son or my daughter in whom I delight. We have that when we're in Christ. Okay, I'm going to stop. But I'm going to pray that we can get understanding of this. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for Jesus. And we've seen today that he understood the truth of the law because he lived in perfection to the law as your son. I pray that you would give us understanding of this, that we might desire your law, that we might love your law, that we might read it, that we would pray to obey it. But Father, we would always know that our righteousness, our holiness, our perfections come through Jesus, your son, as a gift when he died on the cross. I pray also that as we read your word, as we look around this life that we live, that we would understand more and more of your law, of your character, of your love and your grace and your mercy that you've shown to us in all things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.